Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And today, I don't really want to save you from anything, especially if you've already been saved. If you already have a way where you commune with the divine, perhaps it's through meditation, deep prayer, maybe you you love going to an incense-filled church or mosque, Uh, maybe you take communion and you believe in transubstantiation. If that is the case, and you believe in the divine miracle where uh, the Holy Spirit is imbued within the gifts of the church to save mankind, uh, then maybe you need to broaden your horizons beyond just, you know, the the wine and the bread and the, the typical accoutrement that are served at the uh, communion buffet, which of which I am a fan. I'm a believer in transubstantiation. I'm a member of the Eastern Orthodox Church, and uh, I, I believe that it is a holy and sacred ritual, and um, I am fully invested in it. But I'm also not a judgmental person when it comes to an unmediated experience with God. That is one of the things that separates the Eastern Orthodox Church from the Catholic Church, is it, it the idea is to have a deeply unmediated connection to God, and, you know, you come about that through several paths, including uh, communion, fasting, prayer, uh, there are a number of avenues, but for some people, uh, they like to take a different direction, and you know maybe uh, some some different holy gifts with their friends, where they're seeing tracers and uh, little bubbles coming out of the wall and expanding their minds. Maybe uh, God gave us the desire to expand our minds. Maybe we can look at it that way, and maybe not judge other people for doing things like mushrooms and developing a deeper connection in that way. My next guest was a a Utah state senator for some time. He was also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons. They used to be before the guy who runs the church now got really mad at the word Mormon, like somehow it's religiously racist. Uh, It's not. You know, when you say Mormon, you're not mad about it. I'm not mad at Mitt Romney. I'm not mad at anyone. Whatever faith they pride. If you're a good person and you high-five me, we will be friends. But Steve Urquhart uh, has founded a new church called the Divine Assembly. And one of the things that he and other parishioners educate themselves on is the use of psychedelics, including psilocybin mushrooms in church. And, you know, normally people go, ha-ha, yeah, bunch of bunch of goddamn hippies. But perhaps there is something to it. I had Steve on my Fox Business show. We had a lovely discussion, and I wanted to go deeper into how he found this very specific connection with the divine. Steve, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Hi, Kennedy. Good to be here. So when's the first time you, um, when's the first time you did psychedelics? Let's start with that. Uh, 
January 2017, my wife and I, we yelped up a shaman in Amsterdam. And, yeah, uh, you did. Had, had an ayahuasca ceremony there. Really? Now, what did you heard about ayahuasca before you and your beloved did that? Um, I had a couple friends who were using ayahuasca, and they were talking about how their lives were changing, improving. They were healing. So I brought it up with my wife, who's very pragmatic, and uh, she's, she was a good Mormon girl. And uh, I thought she'd say, no, this is crazy, but she was hurting enough, too. We had both been through some stuff that she, she was interested, and um, yeah, we were in Amsterdam, and didn't plan on it before we got there, did it, and it's life-changing. Now, when you when you go on the Yelp app and you put in shaman in Amsterdam, what pops up? Yeah, we didn't actually Yelp. I uh, got on, I think I saw someone on Facebook, and it worked out just perfectly. Um, you know, and this is part of the reason we have the Divine Assembly, is there's a lot of danger in that, just you don't know someone, and that's typically the first guide that a lot of people have is the only guide they've ever heard of. And we happened into a great situation where we did it with a woman in her apartment, and she was all about yeah, the medicine rather mm-hmm. rather than she her doing, uh, you know, smoke and uh, all of that. She said, what do you want? And I said, I want the works. And Sarah said, I just want the medicine and to be left alone. So we each kind of got our own. Uh, so what was the works? What did that entail? Yeah, that was smoke and feathers and uh, songs, Icaros, and uh, she was she was involved in my ceremony at one point. So that's like um, multi-sensory. So, so that is engaging all the senses at the same time uh, to take you into a deeper meditative state. So when the ayahuasca takes effect, you are on a, an even more receptive plane, correct? Do I have that wrong? No, exactly. It can, it can change the channel. Um, with an active guide like that, uh, the experience can be curated just a bit, can be guided a bit. If you're in a bad place, then the guide can unstick you. And if they can tell that not a lot's going on, they might do something. So at one point, um, I was just kind of there and she gave me hape, which is basically a snuff tobacco that comes from the Amazon. And wow, right away that, that kicked it off. And what did you see? What did you experience that changed you? You know, my my brain kind of exploded, it felt like, and just incredible visuals. But for me, it's not so much the visuals, although they're astounding colors that I've just never seen, patterns. For me, it was my creativity. I, I don't give credit to any external being. I think this is my subconscious. And the creativity was there. Just the the things I was designing, there was a garden, and I kept doing it in the way of like, here's Monet, here's uh, Matisse, here's... Uh, Degas, et cetera. And so then I was there with a being and I, you know, I think that was a personification of God, of the divine. So the divine said, what do you see it like? And I said, well, I'm not an artist. And so then the divine figure, a woman said, you, you are. And so then I thought, okay. So it was just the most spectacular thing I'd ever seen because of course it came out of my mind and this is exactly the way I think it should look. And um, just, you know, seeing that I have that level of creativity inside of me, that kind of untapped potential. Uh, what I say about psychedelics, it's fun to see all the insanity, but if you're lucky, you will see reality like you have never before seen it when the filters drop away and you see things as they really are. Had you experienced anything, any feeling like that? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe a layered 
sense of emotion, like the birth of a child? Was there anything that compared to that? No, nothing close. I mean, I had, uh, yeah, at that point we, we had our four babies and yeah, their birth was their birth. It was incredible. Uh, I sat in church pews for decades and had some nice experiences, but, uh, yeah, this is a very active sacrament. And I really felt like I was in the presence of the divine. Now I still work to figure out what does that mean? What is the divine? Um, I think each of my, my belief is each of us can interpret, can experience the divine in a different way, which makes sense. It's the divine is going to be in part a reflection of our life, our experiences, our perspective. And uh, yeah, for me, seeing that figure um, really was the start of a journey of learning to love because I actually rejected God's love in that setting. Um, I'm like, I'm not worthy of this. And then it just turned to dust and sand and blew away. And I realized, oh, damn, I think I did something with my toxicity there. And my journey ever since has been learning to love, which means learning to love myself, believe that I am worthy of love, that I, that's the outer, that's the upper limit of how much we can love anyone else is how much we love ourselves. So that's been my journey, learning to love and accept myself. And with that, learning to more fully love the people around me. All right, we got more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So let me ask you this. What was your perception of God when you were in the Mormon faith, and how did your perception of God change when you started doing psychedelics? Oh, thank you. I love that question. Um... A lot of religion, it's based on the vision of the founder and their early acolytes. They have probably a real experience. They experience the divine in a certain way. Then all of a sudden that becomes the prescribed God. So in Mormonism, it was a white God who, you know, had had a lot of hate for uh, different people um, that there was only one way to access God, which was be baptized, go to the temple, do these certain things. So it was a very constricted God. And now to me, the divine is infinite. It, uh, I do believe it's in me. It's in you. It's in all of us. Um, I think at our best selves, we absolutely are gods. We're not like gods. We have the power to create and destroy and make magic. And, uh, to me, connecting with myself and others is connecting with God. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I do agree with um, something in the Eastern Orthodox faith, and that is that God is perfect, and God created us. Therefore, um, what God created with his divine power, there is a kernel of that within each of us and within every single person. And there is a, a very powerful recognition of that during the Orthodox service, uh, particularly when the priest goes around with a censor, and, you know, it is it smells incredible. You see the smoke. You see the, the soft light from the stained glass streaming into the church, and it's, it's very powerful and it's very moving. Do you think that a lot of religions, including Christianity, including Mormonism, were founded with the help of psychedelics? Well, I really think so. I think that people were having an experience with serotonin in their brains and saw some things. I went to uh, midnight mass for uh, Christmas at the Catholic Church. And so it was basically an, an Aztec 
ceremony that they do in Salt Lake once a year. And it was phenomenal, blowing on the conches, the the smoke. It was absolutely amazing. And yeah, that's very much like a psychedelic experience. And I think that a lot of these religions were legitimately, sincerely founded by people who they had phenomenal experiences where they're, you don't have to take psychedelics to have these experiences. It can be music. It can be meditation. It can be a lot of different ways that people get there. And I think a lot of these founders, yeah, had legitimate experiences. Now, coming out of Mormonism, where I think it stripped away my autonomy, so many people's autonomy, I'm not going to have any part of that. So divine assembly, we have one tenet, which is each person can experience the divine and receive direct guidance. It's an it's a disintermediated experience. And we try to make sure that one person's experience doesn't ever become dogma for anyone else. And you don't give mushrooms in the church. And you actually rent out different spaces. And I know there's a funny story uh, in the Daily Beast about you guys renting out a swingers club and, and kind of <laughs> having to clean stuff off. And maybe you don't want to yeah. use a blacklight in certain corners of yeah. the room. But you actually you don't give out mushrooms. So So when do people commune and do they report back is it members who go off in little clusters and you know they they've learned how to grow things you guys talk about i don't know hydroponics and fertilizer and stuff like that and then you come back with shared experiences yeah the early christian church um you know it was deadly to worship the romans didn't like that and so it was a home church model and we're very much a home church model where the ceremonies are private. It's two or three or five or 10 people who know each other. And there's a vulnerability. There's a danger in psychedelics if you have a shaman who preys on people. And so we think that the safest way is to do it in small groups. Now, we, when we started, we did a, a huge ceremony out on the salt flats. And, uh, you know, honestly, I should be in jail for that. It was so unsafe. It was, it was cold. <laughs> it was rainy. We should have called it off. And that really scared me. So I took a huge step back. Did you have a bad trip? No, everyone had a great experience. And and some people who are there, they get on me when I say that. They say, look, we know you're trying to get a laugh and make a point. But that was one of the most sacred experiences of my life. And I don't appreciate you uh, belittling it like that. I'm so, not. Are, are you t- Are you talking no, to me? Not, no, 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 no. Oh, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not belittling anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in, Steve. No, I'm saying the people who were there, they're oh. saying... When, when they hear me describe it, they're like, Steve, that's not cute because it was it was a profound experience and, and they don't like to hear me shitting on it. And uh, But anyways, it scared me to where I'm saying uh, people are really safe when they're held by people they know. And that's what we shoot for. So when we gather, we have a huge uh, festival, about a thousand people up in the mountains around the summer solstice. And yeah, some people are going to take sacrament there. Um, do they nude up? It, 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 do, do psychedelics always go hand in hand with nudity? <laughs> it, it does often, but we have kids there. And so we really discourage that. Um, do the kids take the psychedelics? No, no. How do you know? Well, I mean, they might. That's up to their parents. But no, we really discourage that. We try to be very safe and uh, make sure that people are in safe settings. And so a festival isn't the ideal place to to take magic mushrooms, you know, but of course, if people are more experienced and they're comfortable with it, then it can add. I mean, I think worship doesn't need to be somber. It doesn't need to be serious. It can be fun. And so, yeah, we have people who take there, but for the most part, we have workshops, we have breath work, we have sound baths, yoga, 
And then, yeah, a lot of talk about how to be safe in the space, how to enhance the experience, some fun ways to use, cook and use the magic mushrooms. Do you, uh, do you use mushrooms or psychedelics every day? Oh, heavens no. Um, I don't. So for me, yeah, good question, Kennedy. Um, I was only doing it about every, uh, two months or so, maybe every three, because it's an ordeal. But I recently, a great study, studies are coming out talking about how it promotes, uh, plasticity of the mind, how it promotes, uh, neuronal growth and connection. And so I have some childhood trauma that I want to heal. I want to do a better job of that. So I am taking it more often. I'm now trying to take uh, mushrooms twice a month uh, to heal the brain. But the most important thing is not the experience. It is the integration afterwards. If people aren't integrating, meaning that they're talking with a therapist or if they can't afford that with people who love them and know how to hold space, it can be very disorienting. I see people who get lost in psychedelics. It's like they're being, they come in with some trauma. It's like they're being spun around in a hall of mirrors Oof. and they're worse for the situation. So that's, that's what scares me about it. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I think that it is a very, very powerful tool that is still under-researched and underutilized in this country. That is getting better. There are more people who are learning the true benefits of um, therapy-aided psychedelics and I, I think that's wonderful. But for me personally, I have such a sensitive, reactive mind that I do worry that I would get stuck in the hall of mirrors. And I'm yeah. I'm I'm pretty good. Like I'm open to a lot of stuff, but I don't I don't think my brain is the right brain for that. Um, you know what what I what I I don't ever push people to do it. If if people feel called to it, then I love helping them out. I think the best way to start personally is one-on-one that it's just one person with a guide um with people around them to hold them and discuss it afterwards uh if it's done that way in a proper setting uh there really aren't too many adverse outcomes these are things the things that are difficult and tough often are things that our subconscious is really wanting us to process serving it up as metaphor yeah, I understand all that, and I'm not afraid of that part. I'm just afraid of getting stuck in a bad trip um, because I know I know it's possible. That's why I agree with you. I think the most important thing you can do, especially if you're uh, looking into this for the first time, is have someone to guide you. I think that that's really, really important, and someone who knows why you're doing it and what you're looking for and what you're looking to heal so they can help you open up that part of your psyche so you have access to the trauma so you truly can heal it because from everything that I've heard and I've read and the people that I've spoken to, that is the most powerful mechanism. It is that that psychic abstraction, I guess, and the healing, like being able to look at your life from a, a different point of view and actively go back into it and participate in it and heal what happened yeah. to you. And, you know, you can't you can't do that with prescribed antidepressants. You, you can't do that with a lot of types of talk therapy. And there's so many people who ruminate and they toil in their depression and their pain. And they it, it's not for a lack of trying. They've tried everything. So I yep. think, you know, I, I really respect that use. But I think, you know, 
using a tool like this to get closer to God, to be a better person, to be filled with love, to make the world a better place. I think that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, it's like I know people might make fun of it, but I'm like, who the hell am I to judge? Like if you if you all are happier, you're living better lives and that reverberates through throughout your communities, then who am I to make fun of anything like that? Who is anyone to make fun of anything like that, especially if people are in their own psychic prison that one, they don't admit to, two, they don't talk about, and three, they can't escape from. So if there are other people who found their way out of the cave who who no longer are satisfied looking at the shadows on the wall, then, you know, go into the light. Have at it, Steve Urquhart. Yeah, I I love it. So I teach at the uh, University of Utah Medical School, teach public health. And really one of the raging pandemics in American society right now is depression. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in human history, we can actually talk about medical cures for depression. The work that's going on at Johns Hopkins and other places, psilocybin will soon be rescheduled. Um, because it is being found to have therapeutic benefit and profound therapeutic benefit. And the way that works is we always have a track running in our mind. It's called the default mode network. And that's why if if the the movie Elf, when Buddy the Elf goes to New York, he's just freaking out at everything, whereas typical New Yorkers, you know, they don't, they don't, they hear it, but they block it out because they know they're safe. Well, the default mode network, that's what tells us, okay, you don't need to panic when you hear an ambulance. You don't need to do this. When you hear this, you do need to panic. Well, in all of our minds, because of our experiences, that default mode network is messed up in some ways. It's telling us things that just aren't true, that we're unworthy, unlovable, some things like that. So that quiets down during a ceremony in parts of the brain that haven't been able to connect because of the loudness of that default mode network. They find each other and we're creating new neuronal pathways. So there is healing. It's it's medical healing. It's it's healing the brain. And I believe it's healing the spirit also. Well, Steve, this is fascinating. I want to learn more. I'm going to keep reading. I will keep high-fiving. And uh, you keep saving your corner of the world. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you do want a journey, hit me up. <laughs> you know I will. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.